0: Hi, I'm Wester Wagner, and you're listening to the From Our First Seed podcast, a short series about writing that ties in with From Our First Seed 2019, an anthology of prose and poetry. In each episode, we talk with an author whose work is published in the anthology, and we'll listen to their story or poems. This episode, I'm joined by Li Dingyu.
1: So I spent at least 18 years in China. I subconsciously and consciously know what can I write about.
0: Though she's published under a Chinese name, I've only ever known her as Garfield. In this episode, Garfield talks about her from Arthur's piece of prose, Chinatown, as well as the complications of writing about China in and outside of that country. Hope you enjoy. Hi Garfield, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I've met you over the over the past year. I've read quite a lot of your stories, and most of them deal with China.
1: Yes, because I come from China. I used to thought that I hate China. Well, but the, not the real hate, hate, okay? Not the real hate, hate. I, Ad- my father otherwise. is a communist, so I'm not gonna really <laughs> hate China, I hate China. It's just I thought that, it, I used to think Western culture is so cool, no like chinese culture is not so cool yeah. I especially hey confucianism can you, you read confucius right Well,
0: i haven't read it okay. but I, I know the idea yeah so.
1: so i don't like that idea particularly so i try to get over my chinese identity when i was studying us
0: right you wanted to get over it and then you'd realize that china is still pretty cool
1: well i just say and then i start to hang out um, with western kids mean,
0: and then they were disappointing.
1: They just, yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> <just> not that <laughs> inspirational. <laughs> wow.
0: OK, Wow.
1: and I get to uh, go back to China to work after graduation, like what, what graduate you from exactly? college.
0: What? What, what did you study and what did you do afterwards? Uh,
1: I study English literature during undergraduate study. And okay. then after that, I went back to China to work uh, in entertainment industry, mostly in Chinese drama or musical opera or journalism. Before I came to Edinburgh University, I was in a very big reality show in China and I, and I sort of screw up the, in the show so I, I sort screw, screw up my chance um, to get famous in China and, and, and I think that yet. was the point that I didn't know what I want. I felt quite uh, lost.
0: I'm not sure whether you're serious or not.
1: And I am serious. <laughs> I was in the big Chinese reality show called "Chi Pa Shuo, like the talk of weirdos. So they invited, like how to say, famous or just weird young people from all over the industry to uh, participate in their show. But mm-hmm. it actually like it goes like, in a debate kind of form. So with they would throw any topic about China and society and you know, identity or young people. Right. So we we take uh different sides and then we have to convince the other side or the audience that we are right. Right. So uh yeah, I signed a contract. I they wanted they wanted me to be a comedian in the show. Right. I couldn't do it. I was so nervous in the first competition, so I screwed up. But I end up in the second round anyway.
0: Uh, how did you screw up?
1: I was too nervous. we used um, before the show we prepared the the talk already. So before the show, every participants get to prepare their speeches with mm-hmm. the directing group so they will practice over and over and over over. And I was so nervous and I because you have the real audience in the show. So I see actually saw their reaction. It wasn't good. So it wasn't funny. So they didn't laughing at all. I also see the you know the scoreboard I had you know above my head, so I know what score do I have oh, and right. what's my opponent's score. And she's like really really good at that. So she almost won. She almost won me. But I I, I decided to discard my speech. You know, uh, like the pre-written speech yeah. at the last round. So we have three round. At the last round, it's um, also one minute talk, and I gave up my speech and I just improvise, improvised, right. and I want her to score, yeah. And then, but I was uh, quite lost because I tried a lot of different jobs before I came to Edinburgh University. Right. So I, I didn't know what I want, and I thought that maybe writing will help me to know myself better, right. know my culture, and I did thought that I would write about China or Chinese culture. So you,
0: did, you said you did fe- feel like you would write about that? or
1: No, I, before I came, I thought that I wouldn't like to write about that because right. I always like, wanted to write about my own family and myself. And something. that's not
0: something you really did over there. Yeah,
1: that's not what I really did. I just write about diaspora Chinese people in different Chinatown.
0: And the story you wrote for uh, from Arthur Seed, uh, Chinatown, is literally about that.
1: Yes, it's about a boy immigrate to the state with his parents during Cultural Revolution.
0: Mm -hmm. This is a theme you want to explore and you actually intend to get all these stories that are centered around the same idea, the idea of the Chinese diaspora and and Chinatown. You want to get these published at one point, right?
1: Yes, I want to publish as a short story collection. Hmm.
0: How did it come? How did this idea of centering all these stories around the idea of Chinatown and the Chinese diaspora come about?
1: Well, you know, like lots of Western people, they might get the chance to go to Chinatown and then they will thought that, oh, that's China. Oh, this is
0: real China. Yeah. This is
1: not real China, okay? Real China is really modern and contemporary and everything's better than the West. No, everything, almost <laughs> everything, okay? <laughs> and it's just I, like, so I talk about that with my professor. I just think that diaspora Chinese actually living a different kind of Chinese life. yeah. And their memory and the culture they reserve, you know, they used to bring this culture to the West, but then the culture actually kind of frees there Yeah. at the time they bring it there. it's It becomes a totally different Chinese culture. It's so like you're like, in some sort of time capsule yeah.
0: and, and you, you enter China, yeah. like the China of like 30 years ago or something.
1: So I thought that that would be just interesting that how those people's life, when they decide, you know, when they made decision to leave home. Because when I was studying in US or UK, I miss my family, I Mm. miss China, I miss culture so much. I miss everything. But then I thought about what reason can actually, you know, make a person make the decision that I would never go home, I would, you know, become a citizen in this country, I would stay there. They must miss home so much. And they're people, you know, their family, sometimes they can't bring their family with them mm-hmm. at the first ground. And especially if it's in is in war, they will lose connection with their family. And would they start a new family, but they also miss about their old family. Right. And they try to go back to fight them and things uh, like that.
0: Yeah, these are very interesting themes to explore. Is there, is there some f- some stuff in your writing that you would not be able to write or get published in china
1: of course things um homosexuality is not uh i can write about homosexuality in china also religions i can like if i intend to put more religions other than buddhi buddhism i can't publish this in china also right. i can't write about too sensitive like. I write about cultural revolutions because now that the official, like, the government officially, like, acknowledged the existence of cultural revolution. So we can talk about that. But there's also other history that are not officially acknowledged Mm -hmm. by the government. So I can't mention that. If I mention that, I'll be arrested. And I can't talk about our government. Like, I can't really write how, what they're doing or, you know, Especially, I can't use the name of our current chairmen, or just previous chairmen. You just can't. You just can't. You, mean, you just can't talk about your chairman. That's not the person you can talk about right. okay. privately. Things like that. You just respect them. Hmm. Yeah. Imagine we go back to China, lots of things you can't write about because of everything you write, you submit to them. Submit to a special. Committee first, so the committee will review your stuff, and if there are anything or any word too sensitive, and they will take it out. What they will ask you to rewrite, right. or if you refuse that, so you, you can't. You don't. You
0: don't actually get any. Yeah, you y- don't you get can't anything publish published.
1: Anything. You, even right. you put it online, they would, because all the internet companies. It's actually, just con- controlled by them. They. Government. I mean, yeah. It comes to this issue, they would just you know extract your story from. But it's
0: interesting that you. Uh, you know this and there's some things you don't want to talk about, but then still you write about certain things that you aren't meant to write about.
1: Yeah, because if I put it in a diaspora um, culture, context, it it's, okay. um, it's just a yeah. softer, you know, I can't really put it in China, China context. If it's in the West, it's always about the Western government, you know, the Western culture and the conflict between Western culture and. You know Chinese culture oh. so it's different, so I can mention about that under this context as a it's just very, very dangerous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what happens if uh you see, if you get th- something published here that the Chinese government doesn't necessarily appreciate
1: mm, you apologize and maybe. apologize and never write it again never write that
0: again or never write in general
1: no just write never write that stuff again or write a correct version to replace that. yeah like a revision if they allow you if they don't just don't ever go back to China
0: oh but it's very hard to write something but not being aware of what you can and cannot write about, right?
1: Yes, that's Especially why. Especially because
0: if you, if you, for example, would write this in China, the Chinese government or some officials would say, "Okay, no, you have to revise this." But if you do it outside of those canals, that environment, no one's really gonna tell you. Only after the fact.
1: Only you mind I grew no, so that's different now. I grew up in China, mm-hmm. so I spent at least eighteen years in China. Yes. I know. I I subconsciously and consciously know what can I write about. You know, it's in my mind. We have this education all over my, you know, like just in these 18 years, I have this education.
0: Mm.
1: So I know that what can I write.
0: But they won't tell you what you cannot write about, right?
1: Yeah, they won't tell me, but I would tell myself I cannot write about that. Right. Even though, I mean, even, I, I just don't want to. We just tend not to talk about anything now. Just mm-hmm. happy stuff. Because, you know, our slogan last year is help to create a help
0: harmonious a
1: harmonious yeah. society. So harmonious means...
0: Means, please shut the f*** <laughs> up.
1: <laughs> please be happy. <laughs> yeah. Please be happy. <laughs> so anything Please like don't anything, say anything negative. we don't like you to they say. They will say, oh, this is not really how harmonize our society. Can we not talk about that next time? So, yeah.
0: You intend to get this published in the West, I suppose.
1: Huh? Yeah, in UK mostly, because it's also about diaspora Chinese. I don't think Chinese people in China were would be interested in, in, interested in their that. life That's anyway. probably
0: something that other people would be more interested in, getting yeah. a glimpse of, a, of also, another culture, maybe.
1: Yeah, I also want... I mean, I feel like some Western people, they just have wrong perception about chinese people and i think it's just fun if i can write something about diaspora chinese and that would be helpful for them to understand it's also that. like a cla- your conflict between chinese culture and western culture especially right. i focus on diaspora chinese mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah um do you want maybe want to talk a little bit about um about the particular piece for from arthur seat so uh chinatown what caused you to write this particular Chinatown story?
1: Oh, it's because cu- Cultural Revolution is always a big thing in China. Well, we don't talk about that, but everybody knows it's a big um, thing in China. Yeah. So it, it is also true that cult- in Cultural Revolution, lots of intelligence, you know, professors, like smart people, they are no I'm not going to talk about that I'm <laughs> not going to expand on cultural revolution It's just a like cultural revolution right. and then people can some Google people it. some people just um they have to leave the country mm-hmm. and then I also wonder that how those people really how does people really like you know go to the u s you know because at the time in 1970s I don't think they they have any like you can't like really call people, say that there I wanna there go, wasn't, um, you don't have internet. Also the, the like domestic flight is also limited. Not so many people can take that. It's always limited to high rank official government.
0: You mean international flights or? Yeah,
1: and or so yeah. also they would take record of anyone taking any international flight in mainland China. Right. So that's why I, I wrote that they go to Hong Kong and then, cause Hong Kong is, um, you know, is in like, Control. are still or in British hands, right? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. Also, like, I wonder, like, because there are so many like Chinese kids in U.S., and some of them, they don't speak Chinese. But then they I think they're also confused about their identity, if they are Chinese or they are American, or what do they want to be? You know, kind of like that. And how do they feel if they know that their parents actually um, needed to flee to another country during a very sensitive time in China? Yeah. Would they think of the government differently than me?
0: Maybe it's interesting to first hear the story and then explore what these ideas yes. are. So
1: let's hear.
2: Chinatown by Li Ting Yu A row of yellow brick houses near Peking University formed a line between the entrance of the university and Wan Street. Inside one of the houses lives Chao Ming's family. His father is an eminent history professor whose radical views oppose eradicating bourgeois representative figures within the Communist Party. In the living room, father is drafting a Dazibao to protest the committee's discharge of the dean. A radio is broadcasting in the background. Great Chairman Mao is meeting with our most loyal comrade, Edgar Snow, at the Great Hall of the People. Dinner time. Mother brings out salted fish, sweet-sour pork rib, fermented tofu, stewed beef, and fried chicken with ginger and onion. Wow, we have pork rib, Ming says. It's been a month since I've eaten pork. Uncle Lin gave us some, Mother says. She pats Father's shoulder to remind him it's dinner time. Father turns off the radio and goes to the kitchen to fill three bowls with rice. The kitchen is neat, with all the utensils arranged by size and function. The stew is served with a soup ladle and the rice in small bowls. As usual, dinner starts silently because father believes it's proper etiquette to eat quietly. Meng always doubts it, but his focus is reserved for the stewed pork now. He dips one pork cube into the sweet brown sauce, eats it whole, and quickly stuffs a spoonful of rice into his mouth. Did you pack all your stuff? School has granted me five days of leave next week, father says. Meng glances at him. He thinks to himself that there is no way Miss Jean will let him leave because there is a middle semester exam next week. Do we have to leave for San Francisco? We don't have relatives there. Maybe after a while they will let you go back to teaching, Mother asks. No, a revolution is about to happen and it will be no good for us. You heard them. We are the bourgeois now. We are the enemy of the proletariat. Ming can't tell if his father is joking. In truth, he doesn't even know what class he should be. He and his best friend Wang Yu were naturally assigned to the capitalist class since they possess some English books. Ming doesn't know if belonging to the capitalist class is good or bad, but before he can ask, mother sends him away to finish packing. Instead, he goes to find Wang Yu. He walks to Wang Yu's house and they meet outside of the door. We're late. Wang Yu urges Meng to run faster to the nearby Hutong, where about 20 kids have already formed two groups, the paper top hat group and the flat cap group. Wang Yu and Meng take the paper top hat from the big kid why do we fight them? Ming asks. Those factory kids tore up our English books, said Huang Yu. We fight for knowledge. The fight starts ruthlessly. And after a couple of tussles, Ming takes Huang Yu to escape from the chaos. Before parting, Meng promises to bring more English books and a real top hat for him. While Huang Yu swears to him that they will be best buddies forever. The next morning, Ming is packing with his parents. His mother tries to stuff most of the kitchen utensils into a huge played luggage bag. Ming drags a medium fabric bag to his room, where soldier toys are piled up at the corner, all jumbled up with the dinosaurs and textbooks. He decides to give his toys to Huang Yu so that when he comes back, they can play together again. The living room is emptied of the usual decorations. Even the fake plastic rose on the television table is gone. But Chairman Miles' picture still hangs over the television. The next day, at 5.30am, Mother wakes Meng up and helps him into his clothes. A black sedan is parked outside their front door and the driver is Uncle Lin. All the way on the road, Ming is asleep. There aren't many passengers around when they arrive at the train station. Uncle Lin accompanies them all the way to their compartment. While father and mother busy themselves with the bedding, Ming wonders how Wang Yu will react when he gets the toys from Auntie Lin. A strange melancholy rushes to his eyes and tears begin to drop. He quickly rubs them away with the back of his hand. The train runs south. As it gets closer to Guangzhou, more passengers get on the train speaking Cantonese. Meng notices men wearing suits with gold watches on their wrists and women in colourful dresses. They get off at Guangzhou's train station where a slim man welcomes the family. With no time to rest, the slim man drives them to Panyu Dock where they hop on a speedboat Meng watches the water, the sparks, the waves, listening to the hypnotic sound of the engine. It is all new. Here is Tian Mun Wharf. Take a taxi or bus to Kowloon Walled City. Leslie is waiting for you there. Thank you, father says. Meng likes Kowloon Walled City a lot because it looks like a castle that remains standing strong after the enemy has tried to burn it to ash. It is shaped with layers on layers, and each floor contains countless rooms squeezed in different shapes, eventually merging into an indestructible castle with thousands of inhabitants. A stout man rushes from the dark alley near the entrance. He speaks in broken Mandarin, asking us to follow him to room number four. Ming doesn't want to go to the room, as he spots some kids in the playground and wants to play with them but he is dragged away by mother, who also gives a warning glance. The room is shabby with mouldy walls. Only one small television is playing Hong Kong news in English. A line of incandescent lamps illuminate the huge bed where the three of them will sleep tonight. None of them takes a shower. Maybe they want to keep the smell of home. At night, Ming hears the muffled voices of his parents deep in conversation in the other room. What can you do in San Francisco? Mother asks. I told you, I have an old professor there. He needs a research assistant. Will that be sufficient for the whole family? I don't know what I can do in such a foreign country. Don't worry. I will look for jobs for you. It's a free country. Nowhere is better than home. We can come back after a couple of years when the revolution is over. Meng is too sleepy to hear more, but in his dream, San Francisco is colourful with speedboats like a story he has read in the science book. Everything is sort of blurred at the moment he gets off the plane, only the sunshine sneaks through the gaps between his fingers. When they are out, A lot of people of different colours are packed in a small airport. Over there! Over there! Father drags Ming through the crowds till they reach an older white man. They have a long conversation in English which Ming doesn't understand but, based on their gestures and expressions, imagines goes something like this. Old white man. Long time no see, my old friend. Father, did you keep my toy? Old White Man, of course, it's been such a long time, I thought you would never come back. Father, such nonsense, I had to come back to continue my schooling. Old White Man, starting from sixth grade. Father, maybe, I don't know. Do you want to play the dinosaur soldier game first? When they finally stop talking, the old white man leads them outside. He manages to find his car among lines and lines of cars. Meng and his mother squeeze in the back seat where all of their luggage has already taken up most of the space. They drive down a long, straight, infinite highway. Meng is bored by the flatness of the landscape. At last, A huge bridge appears on the horizon, and Father turns his head back around to explain. This is the most important landmark of San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge. San Francisco begins to emerge. Ming sees cars of different colours, whereas in China, cars only have two colours, either grey or black. Houses along the highway with rectangular windows Flashing signs sticking out from the ground. Beaches, the sea, incredibly steep roads, long-haired men walking together. When Ming starts to count how many long-haired men they pass, they arrive at their destination. A Qing dynasty style green arch gate with a horizontal tablet. T'ing ha wai kong, the whole world as one community. The white man comes out from the car and says to them Welcome to Chinatown. You ready?
1: I'm ready, Captain. Captain Captain,
0: Captain Podcast.
1: <laughs> no Captain Captain what's your name? What's your name? Oh Captain Western.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow looking you.
1: <laughs> Don't call my phone then. <laughs> that's that's a very scary. <laughs> Because only like when I have make some mistake, my teacher would call me like that, or yeah, my parents will call me like that. Usually they don't. yeah
0: So usually they would just say Li. No, they say Ting, yu. ting yu.
1: Or my friend is called my nickname, like Fatty. Wow,
0: well, that's dire. nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great right. friends. They
1: are losers anyway. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. like
0: okay, so you're the fatty and they're the losers. <laughs> it, it all works out. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the about Chinatown. Um, I Think it's interesting that what you do here is you describe the entire journey from home Mm -hmm. around the Cultural Revolution to San Francisco Mm. and Right when they actually see Chinatown you stop Mm. Why why did you make that decision?
1: Because I have a second story connected to the first one, oh. but I can only publish the first one okay, because the word limit. Also, I think I used to think that I want to write a longer short story. Mm-hmm. So it's all connected. I, wanna, I I, wrote the second one is uh, featuring the boy who grew up and then he realized that he's actually um, homosexual, which... It's not acceptable in Asia. We we don't encourage homosexuality in China. That's but not all of them. I I, I encourage homosexuality in China, not in, in other country. Oh, <laughs> well, that's really hard. Oh, to... Huh? to <laughs> no, it's just like because in Asian, in Asians, my we have we have. I think most Asians are very conservative, especially Chinese. We don't talk about sex. We don't we don't really talk about love publicly and let alone homosexuality. It's like a new thing that the older generation would never accept Mm. as normal because like in China, the biggest responsibility for everyone is to start a family, which means you have to have a kid. You you know, having a family and have a kid. And they won't think that, you know, two men or two girls start a family and adopt a kid is a normal family. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even though they are in the U.S., but the, their parents still...
0: If they have parents living still in China, they would still have this sort of pressure on them.
1: Yes, even the parents moved to the the U.S., like this story, you know, like these boys' parents moved to U.S. with him, but mm. they still would think themselves as Chinese. They won't totally accept the Western culture. They won't say, oh, there's American culture. I love them. Mm-hmm. They won't really... They were. I think there was a phase that we would anti American culture. So we're trying to reserve our own culture by rejecting other culture completely. But that doesn't work, actually. But, you know, they would do that anyway. But even right now, I think um, lots of Chinese try to do that. Either they embrace Western culture too much or they reject Western culture too much. Because it's hard to find a balance between.
0: Well, especially if you can't... Mm, I agree with all of the Western ideas when you live in China, right? Yes, and it's even harder to strike that balance.
1: Also, I don't think Western co- uh, ideas are all, all right. O- of course not. It's so, so y- it's just hard to decide that which part I want to learn yes. or which part that I want to, you know, avoid, something like that.
0: Are there certain parts that you yourself embraced?
1: Of course, I embrace critical thinking, hmm. and I also embrace respect human, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I also respect freedom in some way.
0: Well, it's interesting that you, um, your stories, or at least this one, uh, doesn't directly talk about that, but indirectly it kind of does.
1: Mm. In what way? Well,
0: you say certain things that you aren't allowed to say. Oh, yeah. And just by having that sort of more or less critical, critical mindset. I mean, your characters uh, are saying these things, obviously, yeah. but they they search certain things that they wouldn't, that you yourself wouldn't be able to to say these days anymore. Like, for example, they are a bourgeois family, the, the family you're talking about in your in your piece, uh, and they're saying that they will get, they will not survive the Cultural Revolution.
1: Yes. Uh, They can say that it's only because cultural revolution now is uh, illegal to talk about in China. If if the government decides cultural revolution is not illegal to talk about that, I wouldn't include that part of information in my story. Mm. So it's only because we can't talk about cultural revolution now, and the government actually admit that the conflict between proletarian and bourgeois is mm. over right now yeah. so we're moving to a new phase of you know chinese society
0: is there still stuff that you wish you could talk about
1: no <laughs> well, <laughs> because well what stuff i want to talk about i actually m- mainly want to focus on the you know the difference between Oriental culture and the Western culture. I'm a, I'm just I in this the cultural division conflict a the lot concept, like yeah. how and how how uh, how a foreigner like American how these American uh, perceives the Chinese culture. You know, they because I uh, everybody kind of feel that in Chinatown, it's actually like a very enclosed circle that only accept Chinese people. Mm-hmm. Like Western people are normally not accept by these. You know,
0: well, not the community, but I suppose yeah. you can, even if you're a Western person, you can live in China. Well, you China. can live
1: in Chinatown, but you would never really know. Like, it's just like take, for example, you might never know in a pawn shop,
2: yeah. they
1: actually have a dinner restaurant because they probably only do that for their neighbors and their friends in Chinatown. Right. You as a foreigner, you will never get access, you would never get access to, get access to that. Uh. So that's the thing about Chinatown and diaspora people. They would people. still,
0: even if they. It's so it's so it's so fascinating when they, uh, when these immigrants would still have retained parts of their yeah. own culture, but also uh, take aboard parts of the culture that they now live in. Yes. But then they would also there's there's this conflict there, but then they would also not allow. Uh, locals, yes, into their okay. own inner circle, the the circle that they which only share with countrymen. Uh, in this case, China's Chinese people.
1: Yeah, that's why my second story is about um, this boy. Like he grew up and mm-hmm. he's in love with some um, American boy, American man. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like bringing these American men as a Western element into the story and to see that what conflict or different view they have over certain issues but they also bound by love which is um which is a very magical thing i mean i mean love so i mean it's like sometimes i if if he is a lover or she's a lover, even though they are a f- foreigner. Mm. If I bring them, say that they're my husband or they're my wife. You will sort and of grant them access yeah, to your inner circle. They in immediately way. accept They will be immediately accepted by my family or by the community, right. even though they don't speak the language.
0: Yeah. So in a way, you're saying that love is the only way really to transcend that.
1: I am saying cultural I mean,
0: division, at least to a certain extent.
1: I'm probably just asking, could love be the way to transcend culture and you know, difference between people? Yeah. Could love really do that?
0: And what is the answer you put in your story?
1: I don't Ooh. know. They don't really have an ending. <laughs> hmm. Well, they they end up getting married. They end up wanting to get married, but they lose both sides of their parents' support. So they lose their family, right. actually. And they only have each other, but then they have Mm. And this is also a thing because they's t- so painful they suffer from losing their family support.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, very realistic, unfortunately. Yes. I I think I'll uh, I'll leave it with this. Thank you so much for, for dropping by.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: That's it. That's <laughs> it. You don't you don't actually want to say anything else. That's <laughs> that's that's, that's all you have to say to me.
1: Thank you, all the audience who would ever listen to this podcast in the so future whoever that is
0: <laughs> thank you mom <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you my country
0: <laughs> the From Arthur Seed podcast was produced by me, Mr. Wagner, with the help of Megali Roman and Miro de Beer for 2019's From Arthur Seed Anthology story excerpts were read by John Reed special thanks to Jack Taylor. From R4C 2019 is launching on the 8th of May. You can visit us at fromarfacy.com. Thank you for listening.